Have you ever looked around your business and thought to yourself, is this it? Are you making money, but yet you want more? Or maybe you have ideas in your head, but you're just not sure how to develop them into a revenue stream. Welcome to the Caged Vision Podcast with Carrie Roan and Lisa Beck, where we help you unlock your business potential and scale your business beyond trading time for money. Each week, you'll hear ideas, interviews, and case studies of others who, like you, are subject matter experts and want more from their business. Let's do this. Hey, everyone. Last week, we started a story that we're doing over the next couple of weeks. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, which, oh my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. Go back and listen to that first. We would recommend that so you kind of know what's going on before we dive into today. And today, oh my gosh, Carrie, you were there. I'm just listening to this for the first time. This is, you know... Wow. Well, John's got an amazing story. John Mejia is who we spoke to. And his story is not just about overcoming something once. Yes, over and over again. Over and over again. So episode two talks about achieving everything he he thought he wanted. And he thought he had just kind of achieved everything. And then, you know, the story takes another turn. So this is another amazing episode. I hope you get as much out of it as we did. Take me back to you're in a bad section of New York. All of the surrounding influences are to join the mob or join a gang, and you proclaim that you're going to Syracuse. Tell me about that and tell me about the journey to Syracuse. So, um, you know, obviously, as a kid, you know, people will be like, so what do you want to do? So, I mean, I want to go to Syracuse. I want to become a pilot. And look at me, you're crazy, man. Never gonna get there. Look around you. You you're in the hood, you know. And I said, no, I'm different. And I want to go to Syracuse. And then, quite frankly, I want to go to the Naval Academy, but I couldn't because my mom was not a citizen, and I was under 18. So uh, I had to, you know, go to a private university or or just I just want to leave the city. I didn't want to be in the city. And Syracuse was a university that a buddy of mine actually from high school said, hey man, this is. Uh, this is a school that is where I'm thinking about going. I started looking at it. It's like, oh, Syracuse. So let me apply to that. And that was the only school I applied. And thank God, I mean, I, I'm, I applied to this school. And I was a long journey, a lot of stories behind all that. But I was able to go to Syracuse on a full ride. And I had a scholarship. Oh, that is amazing. And the challenging thing here is what motivated me here is, uh, you know, because I, I got to tell you this. Through all this, my mom had a boyfriend, and he, unfortunately, you know, like I said, my mom made some bad decisions trying to make things right. He was a drug dealer. They would have parties in my house, and being in high school, you know, I knew that I had to get good grades to go to Syracuse. And I remember, through all my curriculum, curriculum activities and all that, I would come home around 5, almost 6 o'clock. I will go to bed, lock up myself in that one bedroom efficiency apartment. This was my routine. I would lock myself up and I'll get up when they were going to bed. So I'll get up, you know, 11 30, 12 o'clock at night almost, and they will be going to bed. I will get up, take a shower, 
eat my dinner, whatever's there for to eat, do my homework overnight, get ready for school at 5.30. And I did that for many years because I wanted that bad. So when there's a will, there's a way. And I knew that I had to climb out of this hole that I was in. But the price to pay was a whole lot smaller than the gain. And I was willing to pay that price. With the motivation behind doing that, because that's very powerful, was did you feel like you had to be an example for your siblings? You know, good question. Um, I was so, you know, I, I think about that moment when I left for Syracuse and I saw them driving away in this Pinto that my buddy drove me on to Syracuse in the backseat. I'm looking back and I saw my mom and I'm waving. And I saw my brother and my sister and I cried for them. I thought, you know, I'm leaving them. But the, the powerful motivation that I felt was I need to get myself out of here. I can't help anyone if I don't help myself. Yes. It's like, it's like when you fly the in the airlines, right? They say, hey, put your mask on first and help your child. Sure. It's the same. It is, it's like I was just so focused on getting myself right because I felt that I was the only hope. Because my brother and my sister, they, they were younger and they, they were just unfortunately, you know, they, they didn't have that kind of a drive. And, and I, felt, I just felt that I had to do it for everybody. So take me through Syracuse that with the dream of being a pilot. What's after Syracuse? Right. So I went to Syracuse and um, and um, study and obviously, you know, join um, the RATSU program. And and after, you know, obviously um, a lot of different phases through that, too, and, and ended up uh, going to uh, the Marine Corps OCS to while I was in college. You know, so I spent two summers in the Marine Corps boot camp, OCS in Quantico, Virginia. and I would all say, you know, I, I just want to, I just really want to achieve my goal of becoming a pilot. And the Marine Corps then, this is senior year by now, and I'm doing my last phase of the training. I remember, you know, walking through the woods and, and all muddy and nasty, tired, with, you know, just doing the grunt training, the infantry training. And I landed and I said to myself, you know, you know, just, you know, just a little bit longer just to, to I can get there. The reason I'm going back here, the Marine Corps was not hiring any pilots. All I had was a ground slot. I didn't have an air slot. So they didn't, the need for pilots was not enough. So here I am trying to make it through training, then get a pilot slot. Hopefully, once I go through TBS, which is another six months, but the trends were like very, very in the school. So here I am, you know, playing Rambo. And then all of a sudden I sat down I was like, man, I, I, this is a big step. I got I to gotta make the right decisions here. And as I was saying that, all of a sudden I look up and I see these two Harriers who fly by me. I mean, over over the top, it's like, wow. I said, man, that's where I want to be. That's what I want. Those guys are smelling really good right now, probably. They just <laughs> took a shower and they're playing in the sky and they're going to go eat a hot meal and, and jump in the shower. And here I am. Because I'm not going to be a grunt. No way. So guess what I did? I made the biggest decision of my life and I got out of my commission and resignation of the United States Marine Corps to take a leap of faith to 
to switch to the Navy. But, but the reason why I did that was because I felt deep down inside my calling is to fly. I don't belong here. And I felt good about it. I, it's just, I can't explain it. It was a feeling of conviction. It's like, man, this is what you got to do. You, yeah, it looks crazy in the outside, but it feels good inside that gut check, and I'm going to move forward with it. No, let's pause there because I want to make sure the listeners get some good takeaways because I want to touch on – because I know over time you've developed these small things in the methods and practices that you use to make sure you're successful. At that time and even earlier, what were you using? What was in your ear? What was motivating you? What is it that you were able to trust your gut and believe that – if you did that, you could achieve what you wanted, because as you as you and I know, there's a lot of people that may be listening right now, and they felt that same feeling in their gut, and they didn't do anything, because they let the fear that they might not be successful take over. So tell me about that. Tell me what is it that, before you systematize this, what were the things that you were doing? to stay motivated. So I had this thing that I did, uh, and I still do. Every day I will read Proverbs, 31 chapters, one chapter per day. And I gather a lot from there. I gather that the fact that, you know, I, I, I can achieve the way I think is who I am. I mean, as a man think is so is he. I believe everything that this book says about myself you know that that if i work hard i will reap the benefits of it and i just apply these principles internally despite of what the world tells me or told me and says to me even today you know that that i can't do what i want to do because i also felt that god's grace and he's he's with me and then i felt that this is what god you know put in my heart and I really believe that I can achieve this. It, you know, it's funny because, you know, people say, well, I believe it. But sometimes I ask people, do you really believe? And the thing is, is how bad do you want it? You know, just like when I was a kid, it goes back to those things. You know, when I was a kid and, and then struggling through those hard times and, and, and getting out of it and, and seeing great things, I knew already that if I just chip away, I will find gold. But I have to be consistent. So the first thing I hear is faith. My faith is it's the foundation. I mean, uh, God tells me that I was wonderful and fearfully made. And your grand, your grandmother planted that seed. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so faith. The second one is consistency. Unless I missed one. Consistency in what? In perseverance. You know, it's not giving up. The world will throw up all kinds of, you know, darts at you and everything. But the fact here is you have to be strong. If the world knocks you down seven times, you got to get up eight times. You got to keep going. And that's one thing I had in me, not giving up. It's funny you said that. I read a quote this morning that I almost sent to you. And the quote today was, a winner is just a loser who tried one more time. And I stopped from sending that. <laughs> I stopped from sending that to you for one reason. People hear that all the time. 
And it's not about getting back up and trying the same thing over and over again. It's about learning and applying. So let's jump right back in to consistency. What did you learn? What did you modify? What is it that you, every time you got knocked back down, that you did to make sure that you got back up? You know, um, we're all human beings. You know, we're all going to feel down. And it's going to be that moment that you're going to sit back and you're just going to say, wow, man, I failed. Oh, you know, this didn't go well exactly how I planned it. But the one thing that I have done in my life and it's made me just overcome, I take that, I dwell on it maybe 30 seconds. And I'm already looking for the solution. I don't dwell in the past. I live my life. I took this from Zig Ziglar and, and I've done this for many years and, and I live my life this way. It's like, you know, I look back with forgiveness, forward with compassion, you know. I mean, forward with hope, I down with compassion and, and, and up with gratitude. So I'm always just within that faith. You ask me, you know, the, the next thing is hope. I think I hope more than any. I mean, I, I see the green on, on a burned tree, mm. you know, and, and I just hope. And it's a radical faith, if I, if I will put it out there. And it's just the hope that things will change and they will not remain. And that just tenacity of keep pushing and not giving up, hoping for the best, works out, really does. So, I, you know, there's a lot, and I've, I've really tried to instill this in my life, which is I just remove negativity from my life because what I have found in order to do what you just said, you can't have nagging, undermining, consistently negative things in your life that chip away. It's very hard to stay positive. It's very hard. So the last thing you need is to surround yourself with things and people that are negative. So we've already gone through this, but you told me the story about all the negativity. Everybody told you you couldn't do it. You shut it out, right? Right. And you applied these things consistently. So now uh, I want to go to the story where you are in the plane, you're taking off, and you can see yourself in the glass. So, um, you know, I went through all that, and, and, and obviously, you know, going through the Navy, and obviously, when I was on the train going through Alexander, Virginia, and you know, I felt, you know, like I said, I was, you know, hoping and praying about this opportunity, but. I found out that the Navy needed 60 pilots that year and I applied and, and it was maybe June and July went by and August, September. And I kept calling my recruiter and said, well, you know, it's 48 selected, 49, 50. I'm thinking, wow, it's only 10 left slots open, you know, and here it is, you know, October. I'm thinking, what is going on? And then my, you know, Keep calling. I kept calling. So you know, fifty-one. I'm thinking, wow, my chances are getting dimmer and dimmer. All of a sudden, my recruiter calls me one day. I'm uh, working at MF Bank in Buffalo, New York, as a computer consultant and helping you know, some analysts and what have you. He said, "Hey, John, what are you doing uh, November 11th?" I said, "Well, I don't know. I'm going to probably go to New York and get ready for Thanksgiving and see my family." He said, "Excuse me." He says, no, you're not. You're going to fly school. <laughs> and I 
just blew up. I was like, wow. Say that again. I said, you're going to United States Navy Fly School. I jumped out of that place, high-fiving everybody. And two, a few weeks later, I was heading down to Pensacola, Florida on my Jeep to attend flight school. You know, I was going through flight school, got in my squadron, and it was the coolest thing ever. You know, when I, I took my first flight and I started, you know, going down the runway in this military plane, taking off and on the controls. And all of a sudden, I see myself, like you said, in those little mirrors, you know, inside a cockpit. And when I look, it just caught me. It's like, you know, it was a frozen moment. And I saw myself with this flight suit on, helmet, mask on. And I looked to the right and it said, you know, Navy. And I'm banking to the right, taking off. And it's like someone, it's like God just hit a rewind button. And all of a sudden, I just saw myself back at this apartment in New York City on the floor. Saying, one day, I will succeed. And it was the greatest, awesome feeling. When I just jumped back into myself and said, wow, I made it. I am here. Have arrived. It was the coolest, most grateful feeling I felt. Oh my gosh, episode two was just as incredible as the first part last week. It's like he did it. Oh my gosh. He did it. I'm thinking Top Gun. I'm thinking like, (laughs) you know, super stud. But just imagine the emotion from the floor. You know, you're, you're in a cockpit. You are there and you see the reflection and the emotion of everything that you have overcome. And you would think, like if we, if this was a two part series, we, you know, like close the book, done, but no, there's freaking more. There's the third part. You're not going to want to miss this. If you've not listened to one, go do that. Re-listen to two if you want to, because three <laughs> is just going to be amazing. We can't wait to share episode three with you next week. Thank you for listening to the Caged Vision podcast. And don't forget to come back next week to hear more ideas, interviews, and case studies of others who just like you are subject matter experts and want more from their business.